listening to SBS On The Money with Ricardo Gonsalves. Hi everyone, it's your daily 10-minute business and finance news wrap for this Friday, the 1st of April 2022. Later, home prices is a correction on the cards. But first, to Australia's role in Europe's energy crisis. Russian President Vladimir Putin is threatening to switch off gas supply to Europe. So in the long term, it may widen the demand and supply dynamic as the continent looks to diversify gas and energy sources, and it means an opportunity for Australia. For more, I spoke earlier with the Credit Suisse energy analyst, Saul Kavanick. Russia has a stranglehold on European gas supply. 40% of Europe's gas demand comes from Russia. Uh, that has very wide-ranging implications in the sense that if that gas supply was to be turned off, you would see a scramble for gas amongst Europe. You could see a breakdown of free markets and the flow of gas within Europe. It has quite severe economic consequences as it would not only eat into a large part of industry, so that means you know, manufacturing facilities and plants shutting down, jobs getting lost, but it would even eat into power and retail demand, meaning when you go home and try and turn on your stoves, whether the gas arrives or not. And it won't be limited to Europe because what Europe's response to this could be is to try and procure more gas internationally from LNG or liquefied gas, which goes onto ships. And that could see Europe actually start to scramble for gas globally uh, and draw gas away from Asia. And then you could see Asian gas buyers trying to secure more gas and prices go up. And we've already started to see because of high prices, for example, some countries in Asia are unable to afford it and are now going to have to resort to burning more coal, which has got implications for for climate change and the environment and energy poverty as people go without energy. So the ramifications are serious and wide ranging. And that's why this has been such a serious issue for Europe. And they've been handling the gas situation, trying to do so, so delicately because of these ramifications. In the longer term, though, Europe obviously needs to find alternative sources of gas. How will this shift the supply and demand dynamics, especially post-war? Well, what is very clear now is the tragic war in Ukraine has been a very fundamental wake-up call for Europe, that it needs to diversify away from Russian energy and no longer be dependent on Russia for its oil and gas needs. And so regardless of how things play out from here, it is looking like Europe is going to rapidly move away and diversify away from Russian gas dependency as quickly as possible, although that's going to be a decade-long journey. And they're going to do that by three fundamental ways. First of all, they're going to try and reduce their reliance on gas. So we're going to see a doubling or tripling down on green investment, particularly in solar, wind and offshore wind. They'll also be looking at hydrogen and biofuels. Secondly, they're going to look at moving into greater energy efficiency and demand destruction, unfortunately, which means the loss of some manufacturing and jobs which can't afford high gas prices. And then lastly, they're going to look to import gas from other places. That means pipelines from other parts of Europe or North Africa and Middle East, and most importantly, LNG. And so if you look at what they're trying to do, about a third to a half of the gas that's coming from Russia, they're going to look to get that from LNG and they're going to look to get the balance from those other measures I talked about. Okay. Now, Australia is obviously a a producer of gas. To what extent can we benefit and play a role in supplying gas to Europe? Well, again, let's look at some context here. Almost a decade ago, we saw the Fukushima nuclear disaster in Japan. Uh, That caused a gas crunch, an energy crisis in Japan, and Australia stepped up 
and developed more LNG projects to support our trade partner, Japan, and get them more gas. What we're now seeing in the aftermath of Ukraine is likely to have an impact potentially 10 times the size of Fukushima for the global gas market. So Australia, as the world's largest LNG producer, can have an important role here where we can once again step up and look for ways to supply more gas, capitalise on Australia's gas assets to support our allies in Europe and our trading partners in Asia as energy poverty and climate concerns rise if we were to burn more coal instead. Now, that's going to require a few things. Uh, Australia's contribution is going to be modest. And what I mean here is the size of the challenge here is so large, it's going to require a global effort. No one country can do all the heavy lifting. We'll need policy changes, though. What kind? First of all, uh, some of the big projects in Australia which could help here, such as the offshore browse project and some onshore projects in the east coast of Australia, have been held up by approvals. So to the extent that policy could change under a national security lens to accelerate some of these approval processes to allow to help them. That could be one step. Another one is there's a role for government here for Australia to be represented at the table in discussions with its counterparts in Europe, in Asia and in the US so that we are part of this solution, um, which has a very strong geopolitical lens here. We're going to start seeing governments much more heavily involved in global energy and global gas supply procurement. And then lastly, we need to look at labour challenges in Australia. We need to be looking at supply chain challenges. We need to be also looking at policy, which is limiting the ability for Australia to export gas, for example, from the East Coast. Saul Kavanick there, he is the energy analyst at Credit Suisse. From energy, let's go to the housing market and house prices were in the March quarter. They rose 2.4%. That's according to CoreLogic. But month on month, it was a bit different, especially for two cities, our two biggest property markets. Sydney down 0.2% in March. Melbourne also down, but by 0.1%. Are we in for a correction in house prices, particularly in those two cities? For more, I spoke earlier with Tim Lawless. He is the head of research at CoreLogic. Absolutely. This is a real turning point in both of these markets, uh, particularly for Sydney, which has really been leading uh, or was leading the, the growth charge early in the pandemic. At one stage, or about a year ago, we we're seeing Sydney housing values rising at more than 3% month on month. And we've now seen that rate of growth moving down into the, the subtle negatives over two months now as well. So we've seen Sydney down consecutively now for two months. Melbourne's down over two of the past four months. The last time we saw both of these cities moving through a downturn was, again, early in the pandemic, uh, sort of around middle of 2020. And then prior to that, of course, there was a much more extended downturn between the middle of 2017 and 2019. So is this the start of a correction in Australia's two largest property markets? It probably is. Normally, we'd be looking for three months of, of consistent falls and, and negative quarterly figures. So we're not quite seeing that just yet, but it does look to be just around the corner. This isn't any sort of a, a sharp fall over the month. This has been a consistent weakening in both of these markets since about April of last year. Uh, so even though we are seeing some disruption from COVID and uh, um, uh, more listings coming in the marketplace, this looks looks to me to be a natural evolution of that ongoing weakening we've been seeing for some time now. Now, those two cities are seeing declines, but around the country, we are still seeing some growth, aren't we? Absolutely. The, the conditions across the Australian capitals and regional markets are just so diverse now. We've really broken this cycle that earlier in the pandemic was quite uniform, a very synchronised, strong upswing. 
whereas now it's absolute diversity. We're seeing markets like uh, Adelaide and Brisbane still recording monthly growth rates up around the 2% mark. Perth looks to be reaccelerating now after uh, state borders reopened and migrations returning back into that market. Regional markets are generally quite insulated from a slowdown. But broadly speaking, even these markets that are still quite strong, they have moved through what looks to be a peak rate of growth either late last year or even earlier this year. I know every market is different, but generally, last year we were talking a lot about how there wasn't enough stock on the market and how a lot of that stock would be picked up pretty quickly. Has that changed? It is changing, absolutely. And uh, it's one of the best, I guess, um, guideposts or signposts that help to provide some information why Sydney and Melbourne are slowing. We've seen Melbourne stock levels are now tracking about 7% above average. Sydney is about 7% above a year ago, but still about 2% below the five-year average. So we're definitely seeing these markets that are softening or or weakening the most clearly are also the ones where stock levels are rising, where, where buyers have more choice and less urgency. They can negotiate a bit harder. But then if you look at, say, the, the, the Brisbane's and the Adelaide's, where value growth is still quite extreme, we're still seeing listings in those markets about 40% below the five-year average. So again, stock levels are uh, a pretty good hint about why we're seeing um, overall value growth starting to slow. A lot of talk about interest rates rising this year. How do you see it impacting the property market? Well, interest rates are, are important for housing markets. They're not the only factor that tends to influence housing price trends. Uh, So if we look at, say, the correlation between the cash rate and monthly house price movements, the correlation is about 85%. So it's very strong. It actually increases with a lag. So with a 12-month lag, that that correlation actually rises. So that kind of tells us that uh, housing markets don't respond immediately to higher or lower interest rates, but absolutely they do respond. And potentially they could respond even quicker this time around, considering household debt levels are at record highs. But the other factors that influence housing markets, of course, are things like credit availability. That's still um, pretty pretty, uh, open credit policies. We haven't seen any further tightening from APRA since October last year. Then there's also things like the economy, the jobless rates, wages growth, which we know are all tightening. So a strong economy and a strong labour market as we move through a downturn in the housing market should help to prevent a rush of, say, distress listings or um, or higher mortgage arrears from putting further downwards pressure on prices. Tim Lawless there from CoreLogic. Now to the Australian share market, which ended the week a little bit lower, down 0.1% on the 207,493. For more, I spoke earlier with Heath Moss. He is an equities advisor at HLM Investments. Look, um, uh, it's a relatively flat day here in Australia, and that's a pretty good performance considering the... Uh, the softest we saw in the US last night where they were off about 1.5% all the major indices. Uh, but it was mainly centred around the Ukrainian-Russian situation where there's a bit of fading optimism over there over peace talks not progressing as uh, quickly as it help, uh, hoped. Um, and energy prices obviously are also coming into it, uh, putting some pressure on markets over in the US. But overall, it's pretty good here today. We're, we're struggling to keep in the positive. Uh, we're only up about 0.1% at this stage. We're in a new month. It's April the 1st. Mm -hmm. What do you see as driving the market in the short term, especially as we head into an election? Yeah, the election obviously is the uh, obvious one. Uh, There'll be a focus on consumer spending with the uh, uh, the handouts that the government uh, are giving us before the election comes around. So there'll be a focus on those. Uh, US uh, first quarter earnings season will kick off 
uh, in uh, mid-April as well. And then our own Australian banks, uh, Westpac, NAB, ANZ and Macquarie, will all report towards the end of the um, month as well and the start of May. So they'll come into focus. But generally, heading into an election, the markets are fairly uh, down uh, down and uh, lose a bit of steam um, as we wait to see the uh, result and uh, who wins and obviously the implications from that. So, uh, yeah, I would expect a, a fairly flat uh, and uh, uh, unexciting market the uh, month ahead. Oil, though, it's poised for its biggest weekly drop in almost two years. Can you run us through why and what now for the oil price? Yeah, look, we obviously we saw oil head to that 130 a barrel um, last month on the back of the Ukrainian-Russia um, situation. Uh, but we've since had the Biden administration come out and announce that uh, they could release um, some oil from the strategic reserves and as much as 1 million barrels of oil per day for up to several months which is obviously putting downward pressure on the oil and easing the supply um, disruptions we've got out there. Um, and then, of course, we've also got OPEC who are, uh, are continuing to do uh, their thing with a, an extra 430,000 uh, barrels of oil a month coming online from uh, OPEC as well. And the European um, countries are still also able to buy their gas from Russia at this stage. Uh, no sanctions have been brought in there. So this is all putting downward pressure on oil. And, of course, what that means for uh, oil and energy stocks here on the Australian exchange is obviously going to put downward pressure on them as uh, um, earnings affected, uh, uh, earnings forecasts are affected in lower uh, moving forward. And finally, um, one standout sector on the market today is lithium. Why? Yeah, we had um, Allchem, which is the uh, the merged, merged company of Oricopper and Galaxy Resources from last year, come out and give a market uh, an update of, in terms of their pricing they've received in the first quarter this year and the, what they expect for the second quarter. And it's well above forecast. Uh, they're expecting $35,000 a tonne for lithium carbonate. Uh, they they for, previously forecast $25,000 a tonne. And for their spot, you mean they're, gonna, they're forecasting $5,000 a tonne uh, where they previously forecast $2,500 a tonne. Now, obviously, these prices are well up on the uh, prices of 18 months ago, where they were 60%, 70% lower than where they are now. Um, and we've seen the whole sector uh, move up. All chem themselves are up 9%. Pilbara Minerals up 8%. Mineral Resources, 3%. And uh, uh, core, core Lithium and Lake Resources up both up over 10%. This SBS On The Money podcast is provided for informational purposes only. The content on this podcast should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. It is not personal advice and does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decisions.